Biz Women Rock, episode 66. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock Podcast. I'm really digging this intro music. It makes me like head jam every single time. I hope you're liking it too. I'm very, very happy that you're here with me today. I'm really happy that you're listening, whether you've been listening since episode one or whether this is the very first time that you're hearing this podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here. I love, love bringing great stories to you from business women all over the world who have amazing journeys to to talk about so you can really take what you need from those stories and apply them to your own business journey. And what's so great is that these stories have really inspired an entire Biz Women Rock community that is thriving. So I would love for you to be a part of it. There is a private Facebook group called BWR Connect. It is an opportunity for you to really connect with other great business women all over the world, hash out ideas, share inspirational stories, um, ask for resources, all that sort of great stuff. And you can be a part of it by going to bizwomenrock.com and opting in and you'll get the very easy instructions on how to be part of that group, okay? I would love to see you there. And while you guys are on the website, make sure to download your free audiobook. You are an audio person. You're listening to this podcast just like I listen to a podcast. And I listen to, I've almost totally gotten out of the habit of reading books physically. <laughs> I love audiobooks. And on behalf of the BWR, the Biz Women Rock community, you have access to a totally free audiobook on me. All you have to do is go to bizwomenrock.com and there's a huge graphic right there for Audible for you to be able to download your free book, okay? All right, let's get into the show. Today's guest is Jill Salzman, who's the founder of an organization called Founding Moms. It was an organization that she started because she herself was a kind of a new business owner and a mom and needed to be around other people who understood what it meant to be both at the same time. So she started this organization. She now has uh, over 8,000 members in 43 cities and nine different countries. And today Jill's going to share with us um, how she has built out that membership organization and all the different lessons that she's learned from the prior businesses that she's had, um, which have been very, very fascinating. So she's a podcaster. She has sold baby jewelry online. She has managed bands. I mean, the woman has so much experience and is full of energy. So get yourself ready. The interview starts now. Jill, thank you so much for being on the call with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you because you and I hooked up on a random chat a couple of months ago and you just are so full of energy. <laughs> oh, thank you. So are you though. Thank I you. And I got along so well. I got off that call feeling like I just chugged down a couple things of espresso. <laughs> so I figured I wanted to bring that energy to everyone yeah. in the Business Women Rock community. You're welcome. Get scared. I, I know. And I am absolutely in love with your business journey. So I really Thank wanted you, you to share that with everyone because you have so many great things that you've been doing, so many great highs, a couple of really interesting lows, and just a really great story that I think everyone can learn from. So you have the founding moms, and I'm very, very interested to find out what you were doing before that ever existed. 
Sure. Well, there are so many things, but I like to start with the, the first business that I ever launched, which was in 2005. Uh, it was called Paperwork Media, and I managed bands. I sent bands out on tour. I helped them with booking and publicity because I had a whole history before then of working in the music biz in New York City for a big record label. So that was my very first company. And about two years after sending bands out on tour, I continued to do it. But because I gave birth to my first baby girl, I basically received a pair of baby anklets as a gift. And everybody asked me where I got them. And I got them from Thailand, which was really far. And I hated sending people there. So I thought, well, why don't I start a side business selling baby jewelry, which I did. So all of a sudden, I had my first baby working in a home office, managing bands and selling jewelry. On the side, that started growing so much because we ended getting them onto the ankles of Gwen Stefani's baby number two. Wow. Uh, ended up getting that into People Magazine. It sort of blew up unintentionally, and I am so grateful, but it became a lot. So as I, I want to say, late 2009, I was pregnant with baby number two and freaking out. How was I going to run two businesses with two babies at the same time? So I started a little meetup on meetup.com, and I said, if you have a baby and you have a business, come and meet with me and tell me how you're doing this because I don't know what I'm doing, or so I thought. <laughs> and it's weird to say out loud, but at the time I had no friends who were women with babies and businesses. It was bizarre. I mean, it's bizarre to say that now because I know so many. So that was about four years ago. It started taking off so much so that it felt like something bigger than I'd ever done before. And I, I sold my baby jewelry business. I closed up my music management company, and here I am. Wow. Okay, so let's dig into that a little bit first. So your baby yeah. jo- your baby jewelry business, first and foremost, I want to know, was this all stuff you were selling on the internet or re- did you have like yes. an Etsy uh, account or like what what was the manner in which you were actually selling and getting this the actual jewelry and then being able to sell it? Totally random, I know, but I I have some family who lives in Thailand. And so they were the ones who sent me this welcome to the world to my baby girl. And when I saw this little anklet, with it was sterling silver, very pretty, with these teeny little bells so you could hear where the baby's going. It was sort of like the original tracking device. <laughs> I called up my cousins and I said, can you ship me a whole pile? I'm going to throw up a website and I'm going to start selling them and see what happens. Uh, I'm very much a do it first and think about it later kind of person. So, uh, so I threw up a website and I was doing online sales for... I want to say about six months until I started reaching out to retailers, selling in high-end boutiques all across the country. I did a couple trade shows to find a lot of those stores. And then I I slowly discovered that I hate selling products. So that didn't help. (laughs) Uh, And no offense to anyone selling products. It's just not my bag. It's just not my flavor. So so I, I moved right along and got rid of that one. So how in the world did your stuff get on the anklets of celebrity babies? And how did you get into those magazines? Like, what were the steps? What did you you actively do? If you want the easiest way to get them on celebrities is to pay a couple thousand dollars. I don't know how much it is now. But to get backstage at one of those big shows like the Oscars or the Grammys, have a booth back there. Because those celebs know that when they stop by your booth, they have to take photos with you and your product. So that's amazing. I did not do that. I'm very much a bootstrapper. But I had heard that some family, what was it, on my husband's side, some cousins were living in Los Angeles and had announced to the family they were so excited that Gwen Stefani's parents had just moved in next door. So I wrote a little note and I wrapped up a package and I shipped it to my cousins or his cousins. And I said, could you bring this next door, please? And it sounds so silly now, but it worked. They brought it next door. I didn't hear from anybody for several months. 
lo and behold, my sister-in-law called me and she said, could you go to PerezHilton.com right now? Because there's a photo of Gwen and Perez has circled your bumble bells on her baby's ankles. Wow. So yeah, I never got the in-between stuff. I just sort of suddenly saw it in the press and then I worked my hardest and asked every single person I ever knew, do you know someone at People Magazine? and ended up finding a woman who knew somebody who knew somebody to pitch it and it worked again and it it's kind of like 50% magic and timing and 50% just talking to a million people mm, I like that and that's probably very very true <laughs> it always every time it's worked for me I have a lot of stories like that it works every time that way so what happened as a result of this public, obvious celebrity? Like, did your business explode? Were you getting tons of buys off of the website? Like, what happened? I actually thought that I was going to be able to retire <laughs> because sales took off so much. It was basically Gwen Stefani endorsing my product. So a lot of people saw it. I don't think they even questioned what it was half the time because I got a woman who owned a horse and called me and said, I need one of these because my... My, I need to put it on my baby horse because my horse is blind oh. <laughs> uh, and I need her to be able to track her baby. I like weird stuff like that came out of it. Sales skyrocketed for a couple of months and it felt very much like, huh, this is not a hobby anymore. But after a couple months, it died. And I learned then and there that you really need to have a PR plan. And even if you get one huge hit, I mean, People Magazine's circulation is incredible. But after, you know, you've got to keep it going. So after a couple of months, if you have no other press in the future it just dies down and you're back to normal, which I think a lot of people don't realize. And they're just excited about their big hit. You were running this business that was going really hot and heavy for a couple of months and you were running your other business. Yeah. And then kind of externally, you were just thinking like, God, like I'm trying to figure all this out. I need to be around other moms who are also trying to figure this out so we can kind of learn from each other. That's kind of where your thought was going. You said it exactly. I mean, literally that was in my head. How am I going to make phone calls to sell these Bumble Bells and then, you know, at night, if I have to go to a show for my bands, how am I going to do all that when I have a baby I have to feed? How do you guys cover phone calls? How do you do meetings? How, how do you do everything with a screaming baby? And I just didn't know. And I, I didn't want to believe it was impossible because I knew too many women who folded and just gave up and said, I'm just not going to work anymore. And that's not in my blood. So it was enough of an interest. I think I also viewed it as if I got a group of these business women together, I'd just get advice on what they're doing for marketing for sales, how they're building their business, and just literally make more money. So all of it was very self-serving <laughs> at the very beginning. What did you actually do? Like, what were your real steps that you took to now create this group of founding moms? At the very beginning, it was literally, I showed up at a coffee shop. They did too. We sat down and I hoped someone would start a conversation. <laughs> lo and behold that doesn't work so well two or three meetings in and they were a month apart I, I realized wait maybe I should have an agenda and then a couple months after that wait maybe I should invite a speaker who can tell us how to do sales better so it morphed very slowly but about I want to say six months in all of that happened in about six months we had 200 members some woman came in came up to me after a meeting and said I hate driving all four miles from downtown Chicago out to where you have this meetup, can you open another one up where I live? And that was February of 2010. That literally was my light bulb moment. And I, I went to meetup.com and I saw, you know what, I could enter a zip code and open up a meetup to anywhere in any city. So I called some friends in New York and I called some friends in LA and I said, can we try this? And they did. And the thing just kept growing. And so when we were about 400 members strong, I knew I needed to close my, I couldn't pay attention to my bands anymore. I didn't want to sell baby jewelry anymore. 
So I decided, let's focus on this. And in March of 2010, I opened up New York, and then the rest is history. And we're now 43 cities. We're over 8,000 members, and we have a lot going on underneath the brand, all because of these meetups. Wow. What I love about this is that you have used meetup.com as your platform, really, to be able to get the word out, right? It's been incredible, and I'm a big fan, mostly because they have millions of members who are looking to meet up, and we are too. So every single city of ours has its own meetup.com page. So what advice would you give, or what kind of like tools or tactics have you used inside Meetup to make sure that you're getting in front of people who might be looking for what you have? Definitely making sure that the topic interests are exactly what we do. And when you're in there, either as a person or an organizer, you can list out, I'm interested in entrepreneurship, small business, female business owner. You can get as specific as you want, but that really ties people to what you're doing. And the only other thing really is to make sure we always have our meetups looking like they're active and coming up. I see a lot of meetup organizers who just throw up the page, they hope people join, And then maybe they'll throw up a location or a meetup here and there. And momentum is pretty key, consistency. So what does your actual business model look like? How is Founding Moms actually producing revenue for you? Had you asked me that several months ago, the answer would have been very different. We're always morphing and trying new things. But right now, we just, as of this past January, started monetizing. So before that, all of our cities everywhere, it was free to join. It was free to go to these meetups. Everything was free. So we've just started charging 10 bucks a head per event per city. So that's one of the, the sort of channels from which we make money. A year ago, we launched our online portal, but we're going to relaunch it October 7th. It's at foundingmomscommunity.com, but it's also at foundingmoms.com. And that's sort of the online place to tie us together between the meetups, tie us together from city to city. We have also just launched a, our first product about a year ago called the Founding Kit, which is bundled service providers who help small business owners do what they hate to do, basically. <laughs> Lots of different ways that it's, it's all coming. I do a lot of public speaking. I have a podcast. I have a video series. There's lots going on. So what I'm most interested in is within that revenue model, you have other folks within these areas like as champions for you. Like they are the ones sort of like being the facilitators of these groups and they're the sure. ones run, running it, right? Sure, yeah. Okay, so how does that revenue model work kind of for the whole spread. So if somebody comes, if I'm in Tampa, Florida, and I go to one of these groups and I give $10 to participate and I'm hanging out, does that go to the facilitator or does a portion of it go back to sort of corporate? Let's say this Jill. Yeah, no, it's it's a total split. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, hosts are making some now. Thank goodness they once were not. And we're making a little more than we once were. But the online portal is, you know, all for Founding Moms headquarters. Very cool. Okay, so I want to know the reality of the steps that you need to take to bring a business to multiple locations or multiple sites, let's say. So what things did you need to do? Like what steps did you need to take in order to really build it out in other cities and make sure that it was sticking to your brand and your quality? Great question. I say that because long, long ago, when I wanted to open up in a new city, I reached out And I would not only find somebody who is pretty rabid about small business, but really got the vibe of what it's like to get together and how valuable face-to-face time is. And I would have her coordinate with me and we'd work a lot together to spread the word out locally via press, via word of mouth, via social media. Now, fast forward to we're so busy that a lot of women are hearing about it literally either social media-wise or word of mouth-wise. So I don't seek anyone anymore. And if somebody wants to open up a Founding Moms Exchange somewhere, they fill out a form online that comes to us and we 
weigh whether they are the right host. Gotcha. So now you've created almost like a training program, I would imagine. Exactly. Okay. Yep, yep. Now, are they paying to sort of be the facilitator? They are not. Okay. So they're just applying. They all kinds of perks. They're just basically, you know, there are two sides of it. The third silent one being that they do make money, but hopefully that's not why they're doing this. Gotcha. Um, They know that they're going to get an awful lot of exposure for their own business if they run one, which... I think every single one of our hosts does. And they also know that they're going to become a pivotal person in their community regarding entrepreneurship, sort of the go-to. It's been really, really valuable for the hosts that understand that. So what kind of real things do you have to do to maintain the integrity of your brand? Like, have you ever had maybe a facilitator who kind of wanted to do her own thing? Or like, are there, what real things are you doing? We've had a number of those. And we've, over the years, as with any startup, sort of figured out how to weed out folks who were in it for self-interest or because they wanted to sell more makeup or handbags or whatever their products were because there was a group of people sitting there they could hold up their, their product to over time. And in fact, not to knock where you're sitting, but we did have a woman in Florida, and I can't remember where, who literally went to our website, copied and pasted all of our material and created her own meetup like oh, as, no. though, <laughs> as though we would never find it, which I found pretty funny. But uh, we took care of that pretty quickly. Well, what did uh, they say? I guess copying somebody is the biggest form of flattery. So apparently you're doing is, something right. <laughs> we went a little bit soft. And I think she, she for some reason, thought she'd never get caught, even though there is this thing called Google now. But uh, <laughs> but she ended up sort of worming her way out of it by saying, oh, I just wanted to partner with you guys. So we flipped it into one of our founding moms exchanges. But then, of course, there was no interest level. So we ended up closing up. Gotcha. I wish I remembered where that was. <laughs> So you've built this out over all these years. You've been able to build this out in 43 cities. That's amazing. Yeah, nine countries. It's kind of nuts. Wow. But it sort of just reiterates to me all the time. There are a lot of women who would like to keep running small businesses and making money for their families while they're raising kids. Wow. It's just unbelievably universal, which who knew? I guess I didn't know. I guess the obvious question is, do you have daycare during these meetings? And like, that's a great my question. goodness, like that's so a whole, all, all of our exchanges, we pride ourselves on announcing that we are kid friendly in every city. So if you can't find daycare, or you don't want to find daycare, kids are totally welcome to all of our meetups, even if we have a business speaker speaking. Because the first year and a half that I started these, my little, my second baby girl was strapped to me every meeting, all meeting long. So to this day, you know, we had a woman recently who just had a pair of adorable twins and she sits them right at the table with us every meeting. So that's great. But I personally now do have a lot more daycare than I once did <laughs> to get all of it done. There must have been some major lessons that you have learned along the way for building out a membership organization. So if you could do it differently, what would you do differently to be able to sort of tidy things up? That's hard to say. And I say that because if I did anything differently, I wouldn't be where we are today. I would probably say that if I could do anything differently, I'd want to start with way more money. Gotcha. <laughs> so that could build out a team. Because as I have gone along from working in a home office, launching the Founding Moms, I have since moved into a co-working space working among 200 other entrepreneurs of different companies downtown Chicago. And it's really taught me that you can't really build a company without other people. So I would probably have have started long ago systematizing more things and making sure that I had the right staff in place rather than trying to do a million things by myself. And I say that mostly because we women are really good at saying, no, no, I got it. I got it. I can do it all by myself. And I am becoming very skilled at saying that I can't anymore. 
do you currently have a team that you're working with? You've brought on people sort of one by one? I have folks who are pro bono for the most part right now because I still view us as very much a startup and we're still very much bootstrapping what we do. I consider all of my hosts everywhere as partners and I'm really, really excited to be able to afford an actual in-house staff at some point. I can't wait. (laughs) So I want to move on to a very cool thing that you have done, which is that you started a podcast. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your podcast and about what you're talking about and kind of what the format is. Yeah, I'd love to. We being my co-host Brad Ferris and I launched this podcast on a whim last December. It's called Breaking Down Your Business and it's at breakingdownyourbusiness.com where we decided we were really sick of hearing a lot of business podcasts that were either just here's how to launch a business or here are business tips. And that's not really our style. (laughs) We do a lot of shouting and a lot of laughing. No, Um, But we wanted to bring on guests every episode sort of to talk about the really vulnerable place in their business. So we have two guests every episode and we ask them one problem in particular they're having with their business. And the, the more honest they are about the problem they're having, the much more interesting our episodes are. So we tend to do the, the normal top five tips stuff that everybody likes to hear, but we mix it together with really great interviews that get down to it. And you don't hear a lot of that around town. Around town meaning iTunes, (laughs) the town of iTunes. Well, no, and I completely agree with you on that. And that's part of what I wanted to be able to bring to light with the Business Women Rock podcast. I know, you're doing the same thing. I don't don't want to say it's a woman thing, but you're doing the same thing. I love the stories. And I think in the stories, you have to hit the ups, the the lows, everything in between and, and to really be able to feel what it's like in those low moments or in those challenges or whatever it is. I think everyone connects with that. I totally agree. And what's been interesting is as we've had guests on, the ones who come on and will say things like, oh, I don't have any problems in my business or, oh, you know, it's really hard for me to think of one. It not only makes it for a less interesting interview, but it's not believable because everybody has a problem with their business. It's at some point in some way. And if you don't, you're not running a very good business. So you're right. It's all about the story. It's all in the storytelling. So let's use that to turn the tables on you for just a second and ask Uh you. No one's ever asked me. (laughs) What has been maybe a really low moment for you or one of the biggest challenges that you're having right now? Oh, right now, because I was going to go back to something that happened when I when I had just started. Or wherever. Um, you know what? It's it's just a really good story because it's super painful. When I uh, when I launched my music management company and I was sending bands on tour, one of my bands said to me, "I'd love to do a show with the Black Crows," and I don't think they realized the extent of my connections in the music biz because I'd worked at a label. So I said, "Okay," and I went ahead and I booked the Black Crows for a show in Chicago. And then they the artist that I was working with changed his mind and just Ooh. decided he didn't want to do it anymore. And I did not know that you can't just cancel on the Black Crows, that no. there's a <laughs> giant multi-thousand dollar cancellation fee. So I had to dip into my savings to save myself from that one. And that yeah. was not fun and an incredible lesson. And I say that particularly because I didn't read the contract and I have a law degree. So it was sort of like the worst thing a business owner could do, particularly if you're fully prepared. It it was just horrible. So that was a really, really nice introduction to entrepreneurship in the here's what not to do department. Wow. Yeah. And so I think I've learned a heck of a lot and have gotten a lot better at a lot of things. I want to say the biggest problem in my business right now is and probably will always be juggling all of the thousand things that I'm doing and literally figuring out the scheduling. And I know that there are all kinds of technological ways to help, but I have so many projects going on and I want to pay so much attention to all of them 
that I tend to overbook myself. I think a lot of people do. And it's, it's a constant taming of the beast and figuring out how to not say yes to too many coffees that don't prove really very valuable or just doing things that aren't worth my time anymore because it's taken a very long time, probably many years for me to convince myself my time is actually valuable, hmm. which is a problem for, for everyone, I think. Well, or I'm the only one. <laughs> well, going into that whole idea of you sort of managing multiple roles in your life, I mean, you're an entrepreneur, yes. you're a mother, I mean, you're, you're a leader of this membership organization. Right. Let's talk a little bit about you having kids and being able to run this business. What are some of the biggest lessons that you have learned about being a mom and running a business at the same time? The biggest one is probably that you don't need to have any of the guilt that everybody thinks you're supposed to have. I spent a lot of the first year after my firstborn was born kicking myself, asking myself why I'm doing this, aren't I supposed to just be sitting and holding her 24 hours a day? It took a long time for me to not make myself feel bad. And there are still some days where I'm working really hard. I love that my kids are seeing that I'm working really hard. But some days, you know, you just feel like you want to be with your kids and there's a constant guilt battle, I should call it, that's never ending no matter how much reassurance you get. Mm. It's in there. It's just baked right in. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest one. It must be so interesting. How old are your kids now? I have a four and a six, both girls. So are they seeing mom as the business lady? Like, are they, I mean, they you sure you, are. What, are they, what do you think that they're learning? What kind of lessons are you teaching them in business? Even when my now six-year-old was two, she'd be playing with her friends and I'd overhear her saying things like, hey, let's play go to the UPS store. <laughs> you know, they pick up everything, everything. And because I do a lot of public speaking, I'm in the media a bit, so I get to show them clips of mommy on this news program or playing say a podcast interview um about women in business who rock they get to actually see a lot of it it's great i take them to work all of it's wonderful and i think they're only getting positive stuff out of it and i don't know why people shy away from including them i in fact used to often have them sit in my office and, and draw alongside me or file my my receipts for me just put them to work, you know, my little <laughs> interns. It's a lot of fun. And I, I don't know why I had regrets when they were infants because they didn't even notice the stuff. It's so funny. It's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to come to a close by asking you, where, what is your vision? Like, where do you want Founding Moms to go? Where do you want your podcast to go? You know, yeah. what, what do you have coming up? I have so many visions, but <laughs> the overarching one is I would love to keep connecting mom entrepreneurs in every city imaginable. So I just would love to keep growing our offline portal and make sure that women everywhere know they can connect with other women in person, offline, not online, even though we offer that too. And just keep growing it and offering resources like crazy to this niche that a lot of big money brands don't really pay attention to the right way yet. And we'll get there too. And I would like to keep growing myself as a resource for entrepreneurs. And eventually I would like to become, I don't know, VC, angel, somehow invest in a lot of these companies that I see. I would love to end up doing that when I when I grow up. You see a lot of moms, mom business owners in what you do, like a lot. A what, lot, yeah. What, what do you see as like maybe the one or two things that really is common between the ones who really make it work? Oh, the ones who really make it work. Mm -hmm. um, they are a little more hip to understanding that even though it's a lot of work and even though it's a lot of time, Marketing, particularly on social media, paying attention to the press, has a lot to do with advancing their company. And I notice those who sort of get it, really get it and ride that and have much more success than, say, other folks spinning their wheels at home trying to figure out how to make their website look better. 
So those who know really to just go out there and tell people a million times over what they're doing are able to grow their businesses faster with more money. At the same time, growing a lot more confidence in what they're doing because the other thing I see that's very common in, in successful entrepreneurs and unsuccessful entrepreneurs is a huge fear of a million different things. It's, it's stopping them left, right, and center from growing their business. They fear they're going to fail. They fear they're going to fail their kids or their family. They, fa- they fear they're going to fail just at, at drawing out a marketing plan or a business plan or pick one thing they're scared. So these face-to-face meetings we do are really amazing because it reinforces you're not the only one who thinks that you're crazy or out to lunch or doesn't get it. Everyone doesn't know what they're doing. And it's just nice to get that reinforced and then leave and go, you know what? I can keep building my business successfully. It's just a step-by-step thing. Jill, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show today, for hey, sharing your for experiences. That was so quick. That was too quick. I know. My oh. goodness. You have so much experience. <laughs> I think it's so fascinating to hear under the hood for all of that stuff. And I just, yeah, I, I yeah, really appreciate you, you sharing that. Because I have never been asked some of those questions. <laughs> and I'm a little scared. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. For sure. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. You can get all the show notes for today's show at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 66. My biggest takeaways from Jill were not only that, oh my gosh, where does that woman's energy actually end or ever does it? I can't believe she has done all this stuff and she has kids. I just love that about her. So my biggest takeaway from her was that She just did. I mean, she just took action on stuff and she made it happen and she figured it out along the way. And if she couldn't figure it out, she surrounded herself by people who could help her figure it out. And I really, really appreciated that. I think so many times we get stuck in this analysis paralysis of needing to have this perfect business plan or needing to have this perfect whatever. And we we miss out on so much because of that. So I really appreciated how she just moved forward with everything was totally authentically herself and figured stuff out along the way and watched things come to fruition. So I hope you've got something great out of it and I hope this has inspired you to just move forward no matter what. Have a great day and I'll see you on the next episode.